after, um, after I went to the University of Texas, um, who won a football game yesterday, that was nice. Um, for a while, I was thinking about different things I wanted to do, and um, I had I, I had gone. I wanted to go to seminary. I felt a call to to ministry, but both my parents had gone to grad school and said you shouldn't go right to graduate school out of out of undergrad. Um, and I graduated in three years, so I was 21 when I graduated. Um, and so for a long time, I wanted to go to uh, go to Europe, and I thought that'd be kind of cool just to go to Europe. And then I found out you know like get if you stay a long time, you have to get visas and paperwork. And, it seemed a little complicated, um, so I didn't want to do that. So I, I've told story many times of many stories of going on the Appalachian Trail. So one of the main reasons for me doing that was because there was no paperwork involved, and I could just go <laughs> and start walking. No one was going to check my papers in Maine and be like, "I don't know if you can do this." Um, maybe they should, but that's that's not what happened. But so before, but I knew I wanted to go to seminary, and I had a friend who had gone um, gone to Duke, and I wanted to go there. So I started the application process of getting people, um, getting letters of recommendation. That was the main thing. I needed um, to get letters of recommendation before I got on the bus from Austin to Maine, um, which is a two and a half day bus ride. I do not recommend it um, to many people, but unless you really want to enjoy, the, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing about the country. You go from like almost, like from Texas to Dallas is almost purely uh, Latino, and then it gets from Dallas through um, up to like the mid, early Midwest. It's almost all African-American. And then it's like all Amish. It's a really, America's a very strange country. Um, so I did that, but so I was starting to apply. And so I did my application while I was hiking and, and different things like that. Uh, but when I finished, I still had some time left and I got word and it, it wasn't good news. Um, I was waitlisted to go to, to go to seminary. I only applied to one place and I was waitlisted. And I was like, I, what do I do with this? Um, you know, like if you're rejected, you at least move on with your life. And you're like, okay, now I definitely need to do something else, or make another plan, or, or apply again, or figure that out. But wasteless, like, well, you know, I kind of figured I could do this, but maybe I'll still get in, and didn't know what to do. But then, I finally did. I got, I got a phone call, and it was like, Wilson, um, there's a spot open for you. And it was, it was really good news. <laughs> I was, I was excited. I was like, yes, this is what I felt like God had called me to do. I received good news that day. Now I want to hone in on that, that idea of good news. Because usually in the context of buildings like this, when we talk about good news, it's purely in the kind of Bible tract, kind of gospel evangelist kind of view. Um, but remember that the heart of who Jesus is, is bringing us good news. When I received that phone call, I was accepted that day. I was accepted to a school of exclusivity. But the amazing thing about the good news of Jesus Christ is it is not exclusive. Um, those doors are open. My friends, we are starting a new series on the good news of Jesus Christ, on the gospel, on three different ways of thinking about the gospel, of, of remembering that there's not just one way to talk about Jesus. Because the good news cannot be controlled by us. It cannot be controlled by our words. And so I'm going to share... Each, each for the next three weeks, and I'm going to have, uh, love passing things out. We're going to pass some more things out. Um, so if you could, Don, just share those. So I'm passing out a little, for, a little um, cardstock with two verses. This is from 2 Corinthians 1, 9, and 10. Um, and each over the next two weeks, three weeks is going to have a different kind of kernel of the good news of Jesus Christ. And a part of this is that each of us um, experience good news differently. Whether it's acceptance into college, whether it's like 
news that a baby is going to be born, whether or not it's a new job, we all experience it in a different way. Whether or not it's the fact that I am loved and forgiven, and there is, there is hope for me in this world. As well, the first time you've heard about who Jesus is, um, is different from who you are now. And your encounters with Jesus are probably different. So we're going to start by, by going, through, going through this, car, this, um, this verse, which I think is super, super powerful and interesting. And so let me know when everybody has a card. We're almost there. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and get started. So first, second Timothy 1, 9 through 10, it starts, God is the one who saved and called us with a holy calling. And what's so important about this And usually when we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, it begins with either I or or Jesus or that. But this begins with God is the one who saves and who calls. So the first aspect of good news is that it starts with the God who created everything. It starts at the very beginning. The God is the one who saves and who calls. And then it gets to the most important part, I think. This wasn't based on what we have done. So God calls us and saves us not because of what we have done. So often, faith is presented and God is presented in cultural imagination as this kind of like this watchman over us or a puppet master. And watch out, God is, you know, you better not do that. God is watching you. Um, as if God is this, yeah, like is a, is a scolder out there trying to catch us off so we can like shoot lightning bolts down. But that's not the God revealed in, in the life of Jesus and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God calls us and saves us, not based on what we have done. There is nothing that you have done that can keep you from God's love for you. That's that's the heart of it. That's the heart of grace. And it is hard to understand. Even when you experience once, you still have to come back to that, come back to that. Even if you've been a Christian all your life, there's still moments when it feels like, gosh, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. Does God still love me? And the good news is yes. The good news is yes, before all of that, God loved you. Because the love of God is based on the offering of Jesus Christ for us. From before time began. So not even that God has forgotten those things that you did, or that I did. God did not forget those, but God's love predates that. This, in the Methodist Church, we call provenient grace, which is a word that's not usually used in English. It means just come before. The grace that came before, that God's love for us, for each of you, for each of the people in this world, for this entire world, comes before. That's a powerful thing that I think we need to continue to lean into. That God did not love you because what you did last week. God did not love you because you did a nice thing yesterday. God has always loved you. And offered himself for you. And we just continually try and remind ourselves. One of the reasons of the existence of the body of Christ. Is to be a people that can remind each other of God's love for us. That when we have a hard week or a hard day. When you know. um, At the early service someone mentioned about how how frustrating it was to not find a parking place for a meeting. Um, And how the parking place was not the point. It was a symbol of the whole week had been. Of just driving in circles. Trying to find it. And it feels like nothing is working out. It's like, should I even be in this city? Why are all these people in this town? (laughs) 
And you know, most of us have experienced that in Austin parking. Like when, when you're like, gosh, what is this place? Why is everyone here? Why can't I find a place? And it's like, it's not a metaphor for your life. And we need to be among a body of people to remind us that every speeding ticket and parking citation is not a metaphor for God's love for you um, or for your worth in this world, that you matter deeply in this world. And this grace has been revealed through Jesus. And what we see is God is a, is a revelation. Revelation, again, is a big word that's usually used in <coughs> like this, but it um, it's a, means reveal, unveiling. It's looking looking underneath and seeing what is true. And God's love has been revealed in Jesus Christ. And we see that in the fruits of what he offered for us, and that he destroyed death on the cross, brought life and immortality into clear focus. What was vague, what was filled with fear is clear. And then Paul gets to the heart of it. Through the good news. That's, that's what good news is. So this is two verses. They're super rich, right? There's a lot going on in there. But this is one way of understanding God's good news for us in the life of Jesus Christ. And there, there's a power there, and it is important. But we must remember that, that for good news to be good, it cannot be just good for me or good for you. Because God's love is exclusive. God's love, God doesn't say like, okay, okay, Polly, I've got good news for you, but not for Tyler. That's not how God works. Um, God, God sees us and knows us and loves us. And so often, though, when we think about talking about God in our life and talking about God, we don't know what other people are. We're nervous. We're, you know, some people think like, oh, Methodists, we don't talk about God a lot. We just do the things behind the scenes. Um, but we have to, have to remember, like, if this is true, is this true for me? Is God's love so real that I'm willing to broach it? To say, I am thankful. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for this day because God has shown me love. That I saw God today. That I was so angry about my parking place. I was so angry I had to walk five miles in the snow <laughs> uphill both ways. Um, but God revealed God's love for me. And I just want to share that. And it's okay because sharing good news is not is not arguing with someone. It's not convincing someone of something. It's not saying that, ah, you need to believe what I believe. You need to start having this ethic or this moral. A pastor once said, being a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event. A person who gives a new horizon in our life. That's... That's the heart of it, that what we, what we offer, the good news of, of Christian faith is an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that you have to believe these words and only these words, and that's it. And it's not that you like hand someone this card and they're like, okay, just do this and you'll be okay. And you'll have your lifeboat ticket out of hell. It is that you, we have an opportunity to be free of, of the guilt, free of the, the fear that occupy and corrode and corrupt so much in this broken world. And that is something worth sharing. But if I'm going to share, I need to start living into it myself. I need to continue every day to accept it and live into it. Live into this encounter with God. Today is World Communion Sunday. Again, this, this wonderful altarpiece 
of, of breads of the world, of the globe, of remembering this encounter with Jesus. Remembering that this, here we go, this, this carpenter who was born here and went about 30 miles south in 33 years. And that was the scope of his, of his travel life. He was born, born in Bethlehem, went up to Nazareth, went, I guess he went to Egypt for a little bit, then went up to Nazareth, went back down to Jerusalem, um, traveled around the sea for a little bit. But what he did and what was revealed there has spread throughout the world. It is being celebrated this day around the world. At the table of communion, at the, at the practice of remembering who Jesus was, of offering the body and blood of Christ in Jesus. The power of that response. We respond to God's love. We respond to good news by doing the things of God. This is what we talked about over the last three weeks with my fancy ruler. One of the general rules of the Wesleyan societies of starting with love, of love of God, love of neighbor, of doing no harm, of respecting the people in our lives because they're made in the image of God, of serving our, our neighbor, of doing all the good we can as often as we can because we know in doing that we will meet God and of growing in faith by doing the things of God. By, like, worshiping together, like, praying together, like, like, serving and fasting. We also respond to God with offerings, with giving. Henry Nouwen is uh, a famous spiritual writer. He was, uh, most of his books are, like, highly recommended, and they're super easy. There's a lot of half-price books. They're all about like 75 to 100 pages. Um, so they're really easy to get into um, and super deep. But he wrote this book uh, a few years ago before he died called A Spirituality of Fundraising. Yeah. Usually when you know, it's like, oh no, yeah, it's, um, it's stewardship season. Yep. Um, and we're talking about good news. And usually you don't talk about like stewardship is like, oh no, we, we better, you know, we got to get a new roof. We got to do these things. We got to pay the bills. Um, but I mean, Henry Nowen is so good at this, and he focuses on on what it really matters. And I think we need to understand why we support Christ's church because of what God has done for us, um, as a response of that. And so I want to read a few words of his uh, that are were very inspiring for me. From the perspective of the gospel, fundraising is not a response to a crisis. Fundraising is first and foremost a form of ministry. It is a way of announcing our vision and inviting other people into our mission. Fundraising is proclaiming what we believe in such a way that we offer other people an opportunity to participate with us in our vision and mission. Fundraising is precisely the opposite of begging. When we seek to raise funds, we are not saying, please, could you, could you help us out because lately it's been hard. Rather, we are declaring we have a vision that is amazing and exciting. We are inviting you to invest yourself through the resources that God has given you, your energy, your prayers, and your money, in this work to which God has called us. Our invitation is clear and confident because we trust that our vision and mission are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither. Fundraising is also always a call to conversion. We don't usually think about that and don't think about this aspect, but I think he's right. It's a, it's a call to conversion. To be converted means to experience a deep shift in how we see and think and act. 
To be converted is to be clothed in our right mind, to come to ourselves the way the younger son did when he was starving far from his true home. It is a shift of our attention in which we set our mind on divine things. And I like my, my greatest illustration, which I used to do a lot more, but haven't in a while, of conversion is walking on a path. As you're walking one day, and you encounter Jesus, and it makes you change directions. It makes you change directions. You're not going the same way anymore. Augustine likes to talk about that before our encounter with Jesus, our heart is curvatus. It's curved inward. And so even if we're thinking about other people, we're only thinking about it as a way, as a tool for ourselves, as a way to better ourselves. We want to go help others because it makes us feel good, because it makes us look good. Instead, through grace, we can stand rectitudo. We can stand upright and see as God sees and love fully in this world. That is, that is conversion, and it gets to the heart of our offerings. It gets to the heart of our resources. There was a theologian who said, not one square inch of the world, Jesus has not declared, I am Lord. And I think the same can be said about our lives. There is not one square inch of our lives that Jesus not, has not declared, I am Lord. And that is not a punishment. That is a freedom. God offers the freedom of being the Lord of our lives. And so is our encounter with God true enough to take a second look at our resources? Over the next week or two, I'm going to be sending out um, wonderful little red cards. So these, are, these are our pledge cards. They're on a different color, but they're very similar. Um, and there's a lot of discourse, but basically getting to how we can pledge together to support the church over the next year. And my friends, the next year is going to be an interesting year. Um, there is another general conference coming up. It seems like every year there's a general conference. Um, I, I will be attending, thankfully, and so Berkeley will have a seat at the table in some way at that. But, um, but there's going to be a lot of turnover about what the United Methodist Church will look like. And so in one way, we can continue. We, we continue to try and talk and discuss about what kind of church we want to be. But we start with who we are and where we are and our mission right here in our community. And our mission as a church is to make new disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And that is good news. That is good news. And our good news that looks like 2 Timothy 1, 9 through 10. And good news like the reality that God is the one who saves and calls. And God has called each of you not based on what you have done. And it is the re response to an encounter. To an encounter that many of us have at the table. But that is the reason why we as a church come to the table as often as we can. To encounter Jesus here. To encounter Jesus together. So I encourage you. Um, when you if you receive, if you're a member, you'll receive a pledge card. If you're not a member yet, I will give you the opportunity um, to take a time to discern. A time to, uh, yeah, a time to discern and to see where you are. And one of these things, like, it's kind of, it's kind of kooky, but, um, like, the point is, is, the, is the discipline of it. And so if all you can say is, I can do, like, $2 a day, um, that is a discipline and an offering and a remembrance. That every time you do that, every time you see that statement, is a reminder of who God is and what you are offering. How can we respond to this encounter of God? our world. We respond hopefully. We respond by what? By being honest. 
My friends, as we continue this conversation, as we continue talking about the good news of Jesus Christ, I encourage you to, to think back to where you first heard and knew Jesus. To think back to that encounter, to realize that you are not in the same place. That those, those moments, those experiences, whether or not it was on a walk to Emmaus, whether or not it was growing up in confirmation class, whether or not it was a few years ago, that you are not the same person that God has been working through you. What is good news for you today? How has God met you this day? Give thanks to that and respond. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.